Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adabat. I had to jump right out there. Energy late in the day. Can't just keep drinking coffee to stay awake. Mary and I have color coordinated once again. Hey, Mary, do we ever talk about what we're going to wear? It is mysterious. It, it seriously is freaking me out right now because we never, ever, ever talk. And not only that, in true magician fashion, I didn't even know what I was going to wear for the segment. I was just telling the team, I totally base it on the temperature of the studio where I'm taping. And right now the air kicked on. So I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good. But if it gets too hot, if it gets too cold, I was really hot before. So I went, you know, but if, if it were actually really, really chilly down here, then I would have had a long sleeve shirt on. So enough about our attire, but we look great. So that's all that matters. I agree. That is it. Yes. Um, and speaking of looking great, sounding great, being great, Mary, why don't you introduce our very special, talented, younger leader guest? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I know. I feel much older introducing Caroline Pisano, Marketing, Communication, and Social Media Manager for Caucus Educational Corporation. Uh, mm -hmm. Caucus Educational Corporation is our sister nonprofit where we do television uh, producing for uh, PBS and News 12 Plus and a whole bunch of other digital um, broadcast uh, outlets. So nice to have you with us, Caroline. Pleasure to be here. Caroline, let me ask you a question. How long have you been working with the Caucus Educational Corporation? Just under a year and a half. I started in March of 2022. So we brought Caroline on during the pandemic. We've gone through lots of iterations and challenges on our communication marketing team. All right, you ready? Caroline, when we sent you the chapter in the new book, Lessons in Leadership 2.0, The Tough Stuff, when we sent you that chapter called I think it's called, is everyone a leader is a question mark. Is that right, Mary? I think Everyone's it's, yeah, I think that's what we went with. Is everyone a leader? What resonated for you? Because I believe you had a reaction to that. What was it, Caroline? From my memory, I think the chapter was about how everybody has the potential within them to become a leader, uh, including people of my age uh, from any background. And I agree with that. And up until probably this year when I came on board with CEC, I didn't really view myself as one because I was never on a team where anybody called me one. So I never called myself one. And that's uh, that's what I took from that chapter. You know, I, that's exactly what Caroline said, Mary, is that no one ever called me a leader. No one ever thought of you as a leader. So you didn't think of yourself as a leader. Since you read that chapter, and obviously we've obsessively talked about it with you, and you become a terrific young leader making a difference on so many levels. How do you believe you've evolved in the most significant way or ways as a leader in the last 18 months? Well, I would say the obstacles that we've been through in the last just six months alone have made me evolve into the leader that I am today. And uh, curveballs are just a part of the workforce and life in general. And you live and you learn. And I can definitely say that I have learned more in the year and a half that I've been with CEC than my four years in higher ed. <laughs> well said. Mary, go ahead. Yeah, I, well, first of all, I'm like a proud, I, I'm like a proud little mama bird. I, I cannot even tell you. I mean, Caroline, and I know I've said this off the air and I'm happy to say it. I'm proud to say it on the air. Just, and I know you feel like you've grown and evolved as a leader, like you came on board and we were so impressed with you, even from that first interview with you, your confidence, your, you obviously care and that just totally comes through, but we have these weekly meetings and to even put in perspective how much of a leader is, not only does Caroline, meetings. 
Uh, we have a weekly, so we have a weekly meeting with our marketing team to just make sure everyone's on track. And so to, not only did Caroline take the lead when no one else did to say, hey, I'm going to lead this meeting and have an agenda. To her credit, there's been many times over the last six months where she says, we don't have any agenda items for this meeting. We don't need to have it this week unless anybody says otherwise. I was like, I, I, I'm beaming. Like, I seriously might even get a little choked up right now. And Caroline, I don't even know if you know what a leadership trait that is. And I, I can't even say enough. You just get it. So it's a long-winded way of saying, thank you. You're, you're awesome. I can't wait to see what the future holds. But where did your, because it is confidence. I mean, I know you said you didn't feel like a leader or see yourself as a leader, but you're confident. Where does that confidence come from? Honestly, it might be too simple of an answer, but this is just my personality. I don't remember not being this way, even throughout K through 12 and beyond. I was always the person when assigned a group project with like three other random people. I was the one that said, let me do it because I find it so much, <laughs> I find it so much less anxiety inducing to just do it myself than to sit back and let someone do it at the last minute or wrong. I love you it. You just always I, stepped up, Caroline. You just yeah, stepped up. I've always just stepped up. I don't remember ever not being this way. No, well, hold yeah. on one second. Go back a little bit. So not encouraged, pushed to be a leader. You think it's in your DNA? It's either in my DNA or it's an unconscious trait that I learned in my upbringing. It could have to do with the fact that I was very involved in my siblings' upbringing. Therefore, I was a leader in the home a lot earlier than most people. My siblings have a very large age gap. The biggest one being, um, I have to do the math in my head, like 12 years. Uh, wow. So, So I was involved in my brother and sister's upbringing pretty heavily. I would wake up in the middle of the night because my sister lived in the same bedroom as me in a crib <laughs> and um, I would put her back to sleep. And then I just got into this rhythm where I would take control. And I guess that followed with me to adulthood. Yeah, um, but I'm curious about this. I had asked you this, I forget, I called you one day and I think sometimes Caroline's like, Caroline's like, why is he calling me? Is there a problem? Because I try not to super micromanage even though I'm sure I do in an unhealthy way at times. But I remember calling you one day and I, I just wanted to know how happy you were, if you were happy. And I don't know, you probably don't even remember. It was a Friday and I called you and I said, yeah, but we don't see each other much. We're fully remote. And how comfortable are you with working remotely? Do you remember what you said? Very comfortable. But what, But every, there's a lot of people saying, hey, you need to be in the office every day or several days a week. You need to be in the same space, the same whatever, for cohesion, for being together, sharing ideas, but that's not you. No, I very much disagree. And I'm not saying that the people who enjoy being in an office are wrong because that just comes no, down to personality differences. But having an employer that gives you a choice, I think that's amazing. That's probably the biggest silver lining that came out of COVID is that we now have a choice of where we want to do our jobs. And if I'm given a choice, I want to do it at home. Why is that? I just think my quality of life is better at home. Like today I did my laundry when I get in a apartment. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. That's, what That's it. You're fired. It's three o'clock in the afternoon and Yuchi just told us you did your laundry. What about for us? <laughs> well, of course, um, work is better at home too. I mean, it's just, you get to disconnect yourself a little bit more. I'm in my own bubble here. 
I get to make my own schedule. Not literally. I mean, obviously I'm on the clock from nine to five, but if she's on the clock before and after that, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, and that's the point, right, Caroline? That's what you were just about to say, that it's not about punching in at nine or punching out at five. If you need to run a, you know, get a cup of coffee or have a doctor's appointment, you can get that stuff done and still get your job done at the end of the day. Exactly. And doctor, the doctor thing, that's probably the biggest part. Like I go to the chiropractor one to two times a week, which is five minutes from my house. But if I was going from Montclair, every doctor's office in New Jersey would be closed by the time I got there. And um, that's for every doctor appointment. At my previous job, they would have taken that out of my PTO if I left during the day. What? Yeah. Wait, wait. okay. So I, I don't, I remember you saying something about this. I was like, did she just say she had to check when she wanted to go to a doctor's appointment or so Mary and I, we were, we were talking, remember this section, we the uh, check our website, the leadership and wellness connection. There's a uh, mini seminar Mary and I did. And one of the Mary is not only family first, but taking care of yourself, right? Yeah, Mary? exactly. Taking care of yourself and not having to, you know, and I always say to the team, listen, if you're going to be gone for more than an hour, just shoot us a text A, so we know where you are, but B, so we're not going to bother you. If you have a doctor's appointment, send it around, not because we're babysitting, but we don't want to be calling you while you're sitting in a waiting, you know, a waiting room. We all know each other's schedules in terms of when you need to be on a meeting. Everybody's getting their work done. And if that's going to get done tonight at six o'clock, because Caroline needed to go to a, get an adjustment at the chiropractor, we don't care when that gets done, but too many businesses are still stuck with their, you know, digging their heels in the sand and saying, no, you need to physically be here from nine to five. And that's changing and we need to change with it. Mary calls it and she's right. Impact over activity. Yeah. Caroline, before I let you go, I'm curious about this. One of the themes, not just in the new book, Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff, but one of the themes that Mary and I have focused on for many years on this series is the importance of giving candid, constructive, sometimes hard to hear feedback. I know that sound, I sound like a broken record, but there's a uh, there's some conventional wisdom or not so conventional wisdom on the part of some that younger people have a hard time accepting constructive feedback because they're so used to getting a trophy for doing for participating and no one ever challenges them. You say, I think constructive you're good feedback. At you don't. You never get defensive, and I don't know what that's about. It's impressive. I think you need to have constructive feedback. I would much rather get feedback from you and Mary on the spot after making a mistake, then wait a whole year until my yearly review and hear about all of these things that I was never made aware of, you know? So just being transparent and upfront is appreciated, whether it's positive or negative. Mary, how did she get so mentally, emotionally? I have no idea. You're like, you you were more mentally and overly adjusted for like a 35-year-old. And I know you're in your 20s. I don't, we won't have to reveal. Steve and I don't reveal our age. You don't have to reveal yours. But you are in your 20s, right? Yeah. Is oh it reverse? Uh, yes. <laughs> she, 25. She, she's 25. All right. I got to get out of here. I got to go. <laughs> can't even listen to I can't do it anymore. Look, Thank you, Caroline. That's what I just want to say publicly hey, and to the entire world. I'm going to stop calling you a terrific young leader. You're just a terrific leader. And you've meant so much to our sister uh, company, the Caucus Educational Corporation. And we're proud of you and proud to be partners and team members with you. Well done. Thanks That's so much. Caroline, I'm proud to be on team. What'd you say again? You, did you I say said, thank you? I'm, I'm proud to be on this team. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Steve's an amazing boss. Um, <laughs> she didn't say that at all. Lessons in leadership. We'll be back after this. This edition of lessons in leadership is made possible by 
the Bicino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Lessons in Leadership is pleased to welcome William C. Spruill, who is uh, Executive Secretary Treasurer and also Tom Bender, Education Outreach Director at Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters. Uh, Bill and Tom, good to see you guys. <clears throat> Great good to afternoon. see you, Steve. Thanks for having uh, us today, sir. You got it. Hey, listen, Lessons in Leadership, all about partnerships, collaboration. Talk to us, um, Bill, about the Carpenters collaboration as it relates to, you, we, we were talking about this offline one day, the infection control risk assessment. What is that and what does it have to do with collaborating? Infection control risk assessment, Steve, or as, as we use acronyms all the time now in this day and age is called ICRA. ICRA, uh, I-C-R-A. Yes, sir. And uh, I actually asked Tommy Bender to join us because Tom is our resident ICRA specialist for the council and also heads up our programs within our regional council. And this is also a national program that the United Brotherhood of Carpenters has developed over the years. And I'm really proud to think back when this all got started. And Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong, but it may have been about, what, 12 or 15 years ago, right in Pittsburgh, which is one of our regional offices. Uh, there was a gentleman named Ricky O, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because it's a very, very long uh, hard to spell name, but Rick, uh, I, I consider Rick to be kind of like one of the grandfathers of ICRA. He started putting together uh, training manuals and things of that nature and, and really got this thing rolling to where it is now. And basically we train our membership. We also train other construction personnel and other union members, as well as architects, engineers, and healthcare personnel for best practices to avoid any kind of issues with regards to infections during an active construction site uh, that's going on within a healthcare facility or even minor re renovation work and things of that nature. It's so, so dangerous if you have untrained people uh, working around folks that are in healthcare facilities, uh, you can just compound their issues. Yeah, Tom, talk about leading that initiative. What's it been like? To piggyback on what Bill had said, Ricky O did kick this off. And earlier you had asked about collaboration. And this really all started through collaboration with what is called an infection preventionist. And that is someone that through the medical field, their job is to stop any secondary infections in a hospital, whether that's the patient, the staff, or the visitor. And this whole thing got started off between a, a collaboration between a healthcare network and an IP named Jeff Clare and a carpenter. Uh, but but overseeing it, it there's a lot here. Uh, there's there, there's a lot that goes into it. And if you think about it from the eyes of a tradesman, what's the difference between building a hotel and a hospital? 
lot of concrete, a lot of metal studs, a lot of drywall, a lot of furniture. It's the people you're working around That's right. that, that occupy the space now. It's going to also be the people that you that are going to occupy the space in the future. So this program is more about it, about the why do we need to do this. It's to get the buy-in because the how we do. We do that every day. So this program is really, it's how do you teach somebody the, the why behind the facts. And I, I always say it's uh, similar to having kids. If you invite, if your kids invite friends over and they walk in the house with muddy shoes and you never told them you don't want muddy shoes in your house, how are they supposed to know you're not allowed to wear muddy shoes? So if you don't tell people your expectations, how can they possibly comply with them? That's good stuff. Mary, go ahead. Yeah. And I'm going to shift gears. This is all about innovation and all things that is just lay people. We don't think about, right? We see hospitals go up. We see new construction going up. There's all of these, you know, medi clinics going up. Shifting gears, Bill, talk a little bit about the innovation on the solar energy. I'm sorry, not solar, wind energy. Wind, uh, wind sorry, uh, wind energy. And talk about what the Carpenters is doing in that regard, because there's a ton of innovation there, something that's really one of only uh, maybe the only one in the country, one of only a few in the country. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Thank you, Mary. Uh, you know, we have some really exciting uh, news that just came about. Uh, there's a specialized certification that's going to be required for anybody to work offshore on any of the construction vessels for offshore wind or even on an onshore site. And it's called the GWO, or the Global Wind Organization uh, Training Certification. And it's a 40-hour course. So with purchasing a dive school and then having our heavy construction outdoor training center in Hamilton, uh, we've been able to go to the GWO organizations. Well, hold on. What's GWO, Bill? I love all the acronyms. I think to be involved in the <laughs> carpenters, there has to be acronyms. <laughs> What's GWO, Bill? GWO is a European safety standard for, for global offshore wind. And because huh. the United States didn't have anything set, you know, because the industry is, is you know, very new to um, our shores, Steve, uh, they're requiring the GWO training. And, and once again, it was it's a 40-hour course. It runs about $3,500 to send somebody away to Massachusetts to actually have them get the certification. And it's only good for two years, and then you have to get a recertification. And there's other requirements for safety that are going to be involved as well. But we went out, and, and we've gotten our training centers the ability to provide GWO. And we're actually talking to the other trades that are going to be involved in the process of putting the turbines together. And we're going to allow their journeymen and their apprentices to come through our training right in South Jersey if they so choose. One, they're going to save some money, and two, they'll probably be closer to home and may not have to put people up with lodging and per diems and things of that nature. Tom, you know, as you're listening to Bill, when you signed on board, right, as part of the Carpenters Brotherhood, Sisterhood, the family, did you ever imagine that the union, that the profession would change and innovate and evolve so dramatically, Tom? I'll be honest with you. I didn't know the union existed outside of Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> to to see where we've come in the 17 years I've been a part of it, I I don't I I look forward to where we're going to be in 17 years from now. It just keeps evolving. Bill, Bill, is that because a big theme on lessons in leadership is pivoting, evolving, adapting, and taking the initiative. Do you have Do you have to drive that on a regular basis, Bill, or is it coming from the organization or both? I think it took us a while to get to the point where we're at now, Steve. But the answer to your question is yes, it has to be driven from the top. 
and from every level. But uh, we spent the last few years, I, I've been at the leadership now going on four and a half years. I actually, right. myself and my executive board, uh, have an election coming up this August, actually a little bit over a month away. And we've spent a lot of time building a foundation and getting our, uh, our employees, our, our council representatives, organizers, our staff, our administrative people, all in alignment as well as our training fund folks and, and the external people that are involved in the process, our contractors, our labor management organizations. So there was a lot of work that went into getting everybody uh, singing from the same song sheet. But man, once you get there, you can really do amazing things. And you want to talk about change, like, like Tommy mentioned, you know, he was, he was in his bubble in, in Western PA. Uh, I started out as a rep in 1999 and we were the little old South Jersey Regional Council. There was four regional councils in New Jersey. Uh, there were several in Pennsylvania. So now the footprint that I have under Eastern Atlantic States, which is one regional council, that used to be about, uh, I'm gonna guess and say eight to 10 regional councils, not that long ago. So you wanna talk about some significant change. You know, I've, I've really seen it in my years as a staff member of the United Brotherhood of Carpenters. And you're right, you really do have to adapt and, and be on your feet and think outside the box if you're gonna make things happen. But uh, looking Bill, back- quick, I'm sorry for interrupting, Bill, your portfolio, you told me the other day, I was like, what? How big is the portfolio? What states? Okay, so we have New Jersey, we have Pennsylvania, we have West Virginia, Virginia, the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Delaware. Did I forget anything, Tom? I think I got them all. <laughs> That's all of them for, for now. Yeah, for now. And, <laughs> and and the carpenters, uh, the longtime partners with us, particularly in our programming that has to do with infrastructure and and the trades and and labor related issues. So to, to Bill and to Tom, I say thank you and thank you for your partnership and collaboration, gentlemen. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us and. Uh, once again, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the, the summer and I, I hope it doesn't go too quick. Sometimes as we get older, uh, these <laughs> everything just starts going <laughs> I know. way too we're, quick. <laughs> we're taping this right before the 4th of July. I'll be seen later and uh, the summer might be over. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Mary and I will be back on Lessons in Leadership right after this. Stay with us. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com. NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato. Hey, Mary, uh, sp uh, sponsors, real quick. Yes. Oh, I would love to. Uh, I'm going to switch them up. I'm going to go in a different order. So we've Let's got. Go. You know, I'm going to end up forgetting what since I'm doing it backwards. But Delta Dental of New Jersey, the North Ward Center, Veolia. Fedway Associates, Seton Hall University, and the Bacino Leadership Institute, Prager Metis, Choose New Jersey, Valley Bank, the New Jersey Sharing Network, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. So thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors who make this possible. Good stuff. Hey, Mary, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Never talked about this before, and I, I, I intentionally do not tell Mary what I'm thinking of talking about in the few minutes that we have to chat about leadership issues. So um, brain, this is actually from uh, 
our friends at Opportunity Project. That's a brain. You came and tell it's a brain. The fact that you have these props, they are endless. And Opportunity Project is a great organization and, and helps people who deal with brain injuries. Why, why am I holding up the brain? Because I've been thinking about this. So as we get older, Mary, not everyone, but some people, and I know I saw this with my dad who passed away a, a couple of years ago. He experienced uh, significant dementia. He was a very strong leader. Um, look him up, Steve Adubato Sr. But the point I'm making is that the brain, our mind, stuff happens sometimes, you know? I'm praying it's not genetic. Uh, who knows, right? So, and my mom, who is watching all the time, she is sharp as a tack. Why am I saying all this? It's not about presidential politics, but I will say this. We have two people, and I mentioned this before, uh, President Biden is 80 as we speak. If he's reelected, he'll be 86 on the back end. Your dad is going to be 83. Yeah, by the time this airs, he'll be 83. Your dad's sharp. Talk about sharp as attack, really sharp. Oh, yeah. um, but Donald Trump, high in the 70s, right? I think 77. But here's my point. Do you, to what degree do you believe, Mary? And again, I couldn't care less about anyone's politics. Mm -hmm. You have to... Uh, in New Jersey, there's an age limit for judges. We've had clients in the accounting field that have mandatory retirement. But leadership into the 70s and 80s, do you believe there's any correlation between, not in every case, but cognitive ability, age, and leadership? I know yeah, it's no, no. I mean, you know, definitely there's something that, it, again, there, I don't know how, I think the problem is going to be, and it's going to be interesting to see, especially as you said, you know, with the presidential election coming up, what are, what is going to be the gauge? What is going to be the parameters, right? For as people get older, if they have to retest for their driver's license, they have, they have to take a test. They need to physically be tested. How do you test, right? What quantitative or qualitative information do you use so I believe that no different than there's an age, right? There's a, you have to be X age. I don't, what is it? 20, I don't even know how old it is. Did run for president of the United States? There should be, be 35. Okay. Be 35. Yeah. There should be a cap as well. Because again, it just for decision-making, for overall health and for any risk factors that we all get as we get older, you're, you get increased risk factor for stroke, for heart issues, for, you know, arthritis, you name it. And the devil's brain advocate, devil's advocate, age discrimination. Devil's advocate. Well, I mean, we all want baseball players, right? They need to retire. No different than their physical, you know, their physicality. Can't you well, can't be. Kind of, but Mary, this is about your brain. It's not about it whether you can run the, the, the 60 yard dash. I mean, come on. I know. But then but then with that argument, are we going to say then that we do let anyone run and then leave it up to the public to decide? But then what if you get two 80 something year olds that are running for president? Right. Like, I don't know about you. I want to be on the beach when I'm 80. <laughs> like... yeah, but, 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 but listen, uh, I don't know whether people I don't care whether people like or dislike Dr. Fauci, but he's 82, I think. Mm -hmm. And talk about sharp. Right. Cognitive, yeah. great communicator. Again, doesn't matter whether you agree I don't or not. Know if there's an answer. I think that if you leave it up to the voting public, then I think we do need to truly What's let the voting. Leadership? Do you think that leadership is correlated with age at all on the upper end? I don't think leadership, their ability to lead, I don't think that they're, I think if anything, the older you get, the more wise you get. My uncle I Aldo, agree. and I know I told you this, just turned 102 and his wife is 103. God bless them. They are both alive, living in, you know, in their own home. 
and you can have a conversation with them. They are true leaders, but I'm sure another one of them would raise their hand and say, I want to be the president of the free world, right? Like there has to be a time that, you know, you just don't, you know, you could still be a leader, but you shouldn't be the leader of the, you know, the United States. Is there, a, is there an age limit or they throw you off the stage in, in, in the broadcasting world? Yeah, but don't worry. You've still got at least another five years. <laughs> That's Mary Gamba, whose contract is coming up next week. Elvin is saying goodbye. He's a very young and talented director. See you next time on Lessons in Leadership. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University. Pregramatis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before. I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir. I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments. There are about 4,000 people in the years who are waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org.